There's a word. Put the first one up. There we go. Glossophobia. Who knows what it means? Scared of words? Nope. Good, good guess. It means fear of speaking in public. And fear of words in front of people. Um, they tell us that an um, overwhelming majority of people have this phobia. That at least 75%. So three out of every four people shudder at the thought of having to stand up in front of a group of people, large or small, with all the eyes and all the attention, all the focus on them, and have to share something or say something or, or um, be, if you would, on stage. Uh, uncomfortable for most people. There's some who, who flourish in that setting, but they're not the majority of people. Um, you, you judge for yourself where you are today. In, the, in Christian circles, and don't raise your hands and don't admit it, but I know it's true, and I've been in that position myself um, in, in growing and walking with the Lord, but the fear of someone calling on you to pray in a group, to pray out loud, well, now everyone's going to hear my prayer. Everyone's going to hear. And you don't, if there's anything you don't want to do, you don't want to pray wrong. Right? You don't want to pray bad. You don't want to, you don't want to stumble or say something wrong. And, and we see that that's part of this fear. Um, as Christians, we're called in the word of God to live our lives out loud. We're actually called to live on stage. We're called to, to represent the kingdom of God in the earth so that other people can see and hear about, God, about Jesus and about his love um, for us. So we're called to live out loud, to be on stage, if you would, but for the glory of God, not to promote ourselves, but for the glory of God. So in, in our series, we're, we're studying conversations that Jesus had sort of backstage. In other words, not teaching the multitudes, conversations that were personal, that were private, that were one-on-one, um, -on -one, that, that were um, directed and, and in the moment, um, and see if we can draw out of those conversations something that could be beneficial for our lives today in the, in the way that we're, we're living um, because what happens backstage is important. I don't know if you've ever been to the theater, but um, if things get messed up backstage, they don't go well on stage. It doesn't turn out well on stage. And, and Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy had a coach um, years ago that told him something, and, and he probably knows what I'm going to say even before I say it out loud. But he made a statement, and it, maybe he doesn't, but sure, it's, it registered with me, and he said, what you practice in private you perform in public. Simple principle, but very profound. And, and it's one of those life lessons that we all need to learn. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. See, everything that happens on stage in your life begins with your, and is a product of your activity backstage, your private time with the Lord your personal relationship with him, your ability to hear God, and then your, your obedience to follow that which he tells us. So th today, we're, we're going to go backstage with, with um, a, another young man. We're going to go backstage with the rich young ruler. Pretty well-known story. If you want to turn to it, it's in Mark, the 10th, um, the 10th chapter. 
of the Gospel of Mark. If you're taking notes, you can cross-reference this account with, in Matthew 19 and in Luke 18. You'll find the same story from different perspectives. So it's always good when you're studying Scripture, when it comes to some of the stories and parables and teachings of Jesus, um, especially uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they, they many times overlap. And by looking at the same account in all three, you get a broader picture. You get a little fuller understanding of what that Scripture is, is trying to say. Um, so we're, but we're going to use Mark as our base text for today. Mark 10, starting in the 17th verse. It says, and as he was setting, he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, let me let you relax, okay? This is not going to be a message on wealth and possessions and, and stuff. Now, there is a lesson to be had there. There is, there is a lesson there about materialism. Um, the, the Apostle John writes in his letter about the lust of the eye, about materialism and finances and things that can grip our heart and control us. Um, and, and so that's not unmerited, but there's a bigger picture in this account. There's something I think that, that's sort of more maybe subtle or behind the scenes that the Lord wants to bring to the surface for us today. Um, this text actually brings out a, a reoccurring message throughout Scripture. Let me read you some Scriptures and see if you can sort of pull out what it is we're going to talk about today. The prophet Jeremiah says this, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. King David wrote, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and do not delay to keep your commandments. Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The Apostle Paul writes, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this is about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I think you've figured it out by now that spiritual growth, if we're serious about it, requires this thing called self-examination. I hope you figure that out. To examine means to prove, to try, to test, to, to scrutinize. But I would put a caution at this point because we do that. We do it reflexively sometimes. But the caution is to self-examination, if it's for about spiritual growth, which is what it should be about, has to stay within the parameters of Scripture. Self-examination should never be about self-condemnation, and it should never be about self-exaltation. Self-examination, biblically, should always be about uncovering 
direction that comes to us from the Lord so that we could be more like him, always with a desire and an aim and a purpose to increase, to improve our walk with Jesus. The verses we read, Jeremiah says that godly self-examination will lead to a return in areas that maybe we've gotten, we've wandered off, that David says it's, it's about obeying. It'll bear the, bear the fruit of obedience in our lives. Jesus said it'll make us able to see clearly so that we can help one another and we can be a, a blessing to one another. Paul says it's the way that we can know that we're still walking and living in our faith. See, godly self-examination leads to spiritual transformation. That's the test. That's the test. We do self-examination, but sometimes it's, it's in a negative vein. Sometimes it's destructive in our lives. Sometimes it's not helpful. It doesn't push us towards divine purpose. It doesn't push us towards more, um, being more like Christ. But instead, it can be very harmful and can be very damaging to us. So we want to take a look this morning, if you'll allow me a few minutes, to look at this thing called self-examination out of the text that we've read. So let's pray. Father, I give you this time. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you let the richness of your word come forth now. I pray that you give us understanding. I pray you give us clarity. Holy Spirit, I pray you take the message that you've put inside of this passage, and I pray that you bring life to it, that you breathe it into our lives so that we can, in fact, as a result of today, be a little more like Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's look at this conversation. We call this young man the rich young ruler. That's what the passage, the story of the rich young ruler. We, we know three things about him. We know Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that he was rich. Right? And, and he wasn't just well off. He was rich. He was like uber rich. He, he was lacking in, in nothing. Um, Matthew tells us he was young probably mid to late 20s. And Luke tells us he was a ruler. He was a, he was a leader of some sort. Now, we're not sure in what area. We're not sure if he was um, a, a leader in the state, like in governmental kind of capacities, or religious, if he was um, with, within the religious arena. Many lean towards that because of his question. His question he asked about eternal life. So many think that he was probably a, a ruler in the synagogue. He was probably a, a, a Jewish, perhaps even a, a, a rabbi, um, or studying to be a rabbi. But the point being, he had influence. Okay, When we look at this man, this rich, young ruler, as he's called, he had everything that the world says you have to have to be happy, to be satisfied, to have a good life. He had everything that all people aspire to. He, he had money, he had youth, and he had power. And our world says, you've arrived. Our world says it doesn't get any better than that. By all appearances, it looks like he made it. You know, he, he's, he's there. And, and others will look at him saying, boy, I, I wish I could be like him. Boy, I, I, I wish I had his life. People would seek him out. His voice, when he spoke, it, it had influence. People stopped to, to listen. His opinion carried, carried weight. He had, you know, he had hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. He, 
He was invited to all the right events and all the right parties. His name was always at the top of the list. But when he takes inventory of his life, this rich young ruler, we find that there's an, an emptiness. There's a discontent. There's something that's unfulfilled in him. There's something that's incomplete in him. Because when all the fuss and all the noise down, dies down and all the applause or all the people go, go away, he, he's, he's admitting that there's a vacancy in his soul. There's, there's something that's not right. And that, that not right thing, whatever it is, is making him discontent with, with all the rest. None of the rest just had any real meaning or purpose because he had this inner unsettledness that he didn't know what to do about. Maybe it's a good reminder for us that external success can never produce internal satisfaction. Maybe it's a lesson for us that by chasing external things, not that they're wrong or sinful or evil in and of themselves, but they'll never bring us true inner satisfaction and contentment. See, self-examination, godly self-examination, is about who we are in our soul, who we are in our inner being, in our inward life. It's who we really are. See, our soul is who we really are. We, we can pamper our soul with external metrics. We can pamper and try and satisfy our soul by going after things or possessions or experiences, or, and the list goes on and on and on. But at the end of the day, we live with who we are in the dark. We live with that person that perhaps only only you and God really know who that person is. But that's the core of the issue. That's what we're talking about today. This, your inner life. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we, we want to see our soul healed. We want to see our, whole, our soul mended and made whole. And that's something that can never happen with external things. That's a work that only God can do in us. So let's see if scripture can help teach us some things, practical things, about examining on ourselves so that we would become more and more like Christ. I, I guess when we start with the, in the story, he, he says, as, as Jesus was setting on his journey, this man ran up and knelt before him. So, so the first thing we can learn there is that you, only you can do it. In your life, if, if we're going to apply Scripture properly in this area of self-examination, only you can do it. And I commend this young man for taking the initiative. He, he, this, this thing was real enough inside of him that he didn't ignore it, he didn't rationalize it, he didn't put it off. He put action to that desire to, to, have, to know what was, what was discontented inside of his soul. And I commend it because he ran to Jesus, it says. And if you don't, see, only you can do that for you. If you don't, nobody else will, and nobody else can. No, nobody can grow spiritually for you. Do you understand that? Listen, you're going to have to say amen a lot louder because there's some folks missing because they're at home online because of the snow. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Nobody can do it. For, it's sort of like exercise. Wouldn't it be great if you could hire a personal trainer 
and they would go to the gym, and they would work out, and you'd be at home in your easy chair getting in shape. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't it be good if you could pay someone a few dollars under the table, and they would diet for you, and you would lose weight? Come on, that, that'd be an awful good thing. No, there's some things that only you can do for you. Nobody can grow emotionally for you. Nobody can. O- only, only you can do that. You control what emotions control you at any given moment. And only you can do that. The same is true about your spiritual life. Only you. When we talk about self-examination, you have to start it. Even God's not going to come down and say, okay, let's do the checklist. Maybe he's waiting for you to call on him. Maybe he's waiting for you to run to him and kneel down. Only you can do it for you. Paul puts it this way. He says, you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self. See, you you're do this. You do this. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to bring ourselves. You have a role to play in your own spiritual advancement and growth. There's a responsibility we have. God will always do his part. The spirit inside of us will always do his part. But we have a part to play and bring to the table in our own spiritual growth. We have to daily, intentionally, purposefully, actively participate in our own growth as a child of God. Spiritual growth doesn't happen just because you got older on the calendar. Spiritual growth happens as we continually bring our lives and lay them out before the Lord and ask him to help us become more and more like Jesus. We have to take the initiative I see that in this young man. He took the initiative. He ran after Jesus. He knelt before him. And then self-examination, godly self-examination, is also now we're going to see a a reaching for the supernatural. It's a reaching out for the supernatural. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. His, this emptiness he feels in his, in his soul is driving him to try to, to figure out what can fill that. And he recognizes that it's something beyond normal life because he's tried everything else in normal life. It's a great question. He's, he's saying there has to be something more than this life. There's something that I'm missing. You know, the, the Old Testament has a book in it called Ecclesiastes. It was written by King Solomon, one of the wisest men. And it's sort of a journal of his journeys. King Solomon was arguably perhaps the, the, the certainly the wisest and perhaps the, the richest man who ever lived. Um, and he writes this journal. And the whole thing, as you go through the pages, it's vanity upon vanity. It's vanities of van- vanity of vanities, he says, over and over and over again. He tries everything, anything that there was to try, any experience there was to go after, anything there was to, to, to pursue. He, he tried it all. And he comes to the end of his journal and he says this at the end of it all. Here's the only thing I found that has any value, has any worth, can satisfy and give you a true sense of, of well-being in your soul. 
He says, fear God and obey his commandments. All of life boils down to fear God and obey his commandments. If you want that vacancy in your soul to be satisfied, where you can live, no matter what the circumstances or externals are, you can know that you know that you know that you're, you're good and you're fine and you're content and you're satisfied in life. Fear God and obey his commandments. Now, his question was a great question. But his question also reveals two false assumptions that we sometimes are guilty of. And if, if not presently, maybe we've, you've matured beyond um, this kind of thinking. But at some point in your Christian journey, you've thought these things. He asks a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But there's two false assumptions there. The first one being that he can get there. The, the way he gets there is by his own effort. He says, what must I do? And the second one being that eternal life is a future possession. What, must, what can I do to inherit? That's, that's something yet ahead of you. And we've all had those same kinds of thoughts. Let's, me take, let's take them apart for just a minute. Eternal life is, is something we work to gain. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that thought. My guess is you have. If you're, we're honest about our life and our walk with the Lord, we see a spiritual deficiency. We, we recognize a spiritual deficiency in our lives. And, and the question that comes to mind is, what can I do? I had this actually happen to me years and years ago. There was, there was a, a person, came, a lovely, wonderful person, came to me um, after a service and, and, and told me about the journey they were on. And, and their life had really, as a Christian, really fallen away. They were living careless in some areas. And, and they were there to their credit. They were recognizing it. They were, they were admitting it. They were confessing it and recognized they needed to get the, the distance that had developed between them and God. They, they wanted to get back on track. And so here's, here's what they asked me. They said, I recognize that this, this limit in my life, or this, uh, this thing that's missing in my life, I've drifted away from the Lord. Can I teach a Sunday school class? Now, there's a dilemma because typically the qualifications to teach our Sunday school classes is not spiritual drifting. That's not, it's not one of the qualifications we're looking for to put in front of our young people. But I understood what they were saying. They were saying, I'm recognizing this spiritual gap inside of me, this spiritual unsatisfied thing inside of me. I have to do something for the Lord so that that can go away, and it doesn't work that way. I hope you've figured that out. It doesn't work that way. There is a doing dimension to our faith. I, let's not deny that. But true faith leads to action. Okay? True faith leads to action. James says this. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, faith, or works rather, make faith visible. But works can never produce faith. Works are a secondary, a byproduct of true faith, of, of real confidence and faith in God. Doing doesn't produce faith. It's the overflow of it. The Bible says, what? by grace you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. I like the ESV translation. Not of your own doing. 
By grace, you're saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Somebody should say amen. It's a gift of God. Eternal life doesn't come to us by doing, but rather by believing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's not based on what I can do. Eternal life is based on what Jesus has already done. Hallelujah. And I trust you've taken advantage of that reality and that offer that he brings to us. And then the other uh, false assumption was that eternal life is, is ahead of us. And that's not totally false. That's not completely false. There, there is a life ahead of us that we are not living right now. We don't fully, we can't comprehend it or really understand what it's going to look and sound and feel like. There is that dimension of e eternal life. But, but in the text, in the context of, of the, the gentleman's question, he's seeking for something to, that he could secure now for later. Something he could secure now for after this life. He, he, he saw eternal life as something that kicks in after we die. And his thought was, well, if I settle that, then that'll settle me. If I can get a handle on that, then this emptiness inside of me will, will go away. Because eternal life is, is yet ahead of us. John the Baptist said this. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The Apostle John writes... God has given us eternal life, and this is life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty black and white. Jesus prayed this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Who here believes in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who believes that God is? You have eternal life. According to Scripture, eternal life has already begun. Somebody say amen. amen. I know it's cold out. Let's keep it warm in here. You have eternal life now. Eternal life is ahead of us in some dimension, but it be, has already begun. There's a quality of life in you that, that is not normal, that is not, or I should say, it's not natural. Remember the Apostle Paul. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. But the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Listen, you live a kind of life right now. You have a kind of life, not just a, a quantity of life, but you have a, a kind of life right now that, that is supernatural. That is supernatural. Listen, we, if that could ever get inside of us, if you want to be a miserable Christian, overlook that reality. And just go out and try and be like everyone else. Just go out and try and blend in. Just go out and, and buy into the stuff that the world has to say. Just go out and let those attitudes become your attitudes. Just go out and, and think and act like everyone else. You will be absolutely miserable as a believer. Because it won't work for you. It just won't work for you. you. You could be doing the same things and following the same steps as, as, as a, another friend or a coworker or a classmate or something. And they're having the time of their life and you're miserable. 
You're trying, but no matter the harder you try, the less satisfied you are, the less content you are, the more anxious you are, the more, the more restless you are. Why is that? Because you have a different kind of life inside of you. It's a different kind of life. I love Peter when he writes, and it says that when he's talking about, you know, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And, and then this, this is the phrase. King James says, you're a peculiar people. I love that. You're a peculiar people. ESV says you're a people for his own possession. NIV says you're a people who belong to God. Literally, peculiar people, that, that phrase, a literal translation, you're a continual acquisition. Think about that. You're a continual acquisition. God is constantly, unendingly pulling you closer to himself, wanting to live with you and live through you. Continually. There's this, he, he claimed you at salvation and he keeps claiming you as his own. What a great thing. What a great reality. Eternal life begins now. The moment you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, he gave you the gift of eternal life. You have now inside of you a different kind of life. Listen, people outside of Christ don't have the Holy Spirit residing in them. You do. We need to live up to the fact that, and stop, stop killing ourselves trying to live between these two worlds. You are, have the supernatural life. Just accept it. Embrace it. Does that mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean you understand everything? Of course not. Does that, does that mean you're going to do everything right all the time? No, we already know that's not going to happen. But what it means is there's a seed inside of you of eternity that does change you, has changed you, and continues to change you. And we need to embrace the reality and live up to who we are and what God has secured inside of us. Healthy self-examination is, is also going to cause us to see Jesus in a different light. It's going to cause us to see Jesus higher, lifted up, exalted. It's going to change our, our it will change our perspective of him. We'll have an expanded vision of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to the young man, why do you call me good? Because no one is good but God. Now, in, in that setting, in that, in that culture, when you use the word good, it had a very specific definition, very specific understanding, which was moral perfection. Good, when you said something was good or someone was good, you're, you're saying you are morally perfect. Okay? And so, so they didn't use that word except in reference to God. Only God was good because only God is, is absolutely morally perfect. Rabbis, no matter how well-known they were, how learned they were, would not refer to themselves as good. And so this young man comes and, and calls him good master, good teacher. And Jesus is, challenges that in that context. Now listen, he wasn't denying that he was good. Jesus was trying to expand this young man's vision of who he had come and was seeking. He wasn't trying to deny that he was good. He was affirming that he was God. He was saying, listen, if you, if you really want to know the, the answers that you're looking for, 
then you have to know who I am and believe who I am. Because otherwise, you're not going to accept it. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. If you want to really satisfy that inner need, you have to know where I'm from and who I am and where I'm going. You have to be willing to believe that I'm the son of God. See, the depth of your faith will always be proportionate to your vision of who he is. You'll never be, how should I say, you'll never be a better Christian. It's not the best way of saying it, perhaps. But you'll never be a better Christian than who you really see Jesus to be. Your vision and understanding and revelation of Christ will set the bar of how far you can grow spiritually. Because our spiritual life comes through an ever-unfolding understanding and learning and growing in who he is and our picture of him. If we want to grow spiritually, we have to see past ourselves and see him. A self-examination, listen, self-examination that only looks at me, you're going to never, you'll never change. You'll, you'll never see improvement. You'll, be, you'll become stunted in your spiritual growth. We need vision that doesn't deny us. We see ourselves, but then we see Christ. We look through ourselves to see more and more of Jesus. Because it's in the revelation of who he is that we begin to change. You, you want to lay, lay aside every weight? You know, Hebrew, Hebrews talks about this. You want to live a life where you're able to lay aside every weight? You're able to break the, the cycle of besetting sins in your life? You want to be able to run your race with endurance? Th those are all wonderful goals, and we want to do those things. But what does it say? There's only one way to get there, not looking at yourself. Not looking at other people, not looking at the culture around you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And as you look unto Jesus, the more you see of him, the more you become like him. That's what Paul was writing in Corinthians. He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding, looking at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. How, how do we, we can't, our spiritual life is attached to beholding Jesus, looking at Jesus, keeping our eyes and expanding our vision and ask, allowing him to reveal himself more and more and more. And as we see more of him, we are changed. We become, we become what we behold. So there's a side lesson in there where we need to evaluate what we're looking at in life. What, what are we fixing our gaze upon? What are we really paying attention to? Because we become what we behold. I wrote in my notes a question. Are you a glory catcher? Are you a glory catcher? Moses prayed this. God, show me your glory. Now, that's quite a prayer, and especially when you consider this is Moses. And you think of the things that he has seen and experienced in God. He's, he's called out of a, a life of, of exile. He's brought back into Egypt. He's brought before the Pharaoh. He, he, this, this stuttering fugitive. He sees the hand of God 
moving time after time after time. And God is using him to bring a message of deliverance to Pharaoh and will ultimately lead the people of God out. Think of this, this man. He has seen water from a rock. He has seen manna show up, and yet he's standing there. God, show me your glory. I want to see more. Oh, this has been wonderful, but show me your glory. I, I need to see God. I need to have eyes to see and ears to hear more and more of your glory. God didn't say no. And here's what's interesting. When Moses saw the glory of God, Moses was changed. Remember, he couldn't hardly hang out with the other people. He had to wear a veil over his face because he was changed. He was physically and visibly changed by the glory of God. The lesson there for us is our lives will only reflect and will always reflect whatever it is we behold. Whatever it is we're always looking at, that's what our lives will become. So what are we looking at? God, show me your glory. That's become a daily prayer of mine, by the way. And I, it's a wonderful thing. And I encourage all of you, God, today, let me see your glory. You know, sometimes we think of the glory of God, we think we have to see skies open and we have to see, you know, all these demonstrative big. No, God, show me your glory in the day, daily routine of life. Show me your glory as I, as I go through this day. Let me see your goodness in, in the big and little things. God, I'm looking for your glory. That, that's what begged the question, are you a glory kid? Do you remember those things you used to hang in your windows? Uh, what were they called? They were glass, like mosaic glass things. There was a name for them. I don't know what they Sun catcher, thank you. And they would catch the sun and reflect it, right? That, that's what we want to be daily. We, we want to be able to walk through life and not, it's so easy to see the bad stuff, the hard stuff, the difficult stuff. And we don't deny that. But I, I tell you, we can balance that because there's also good stuff in life. There's good stuff in your life today. The Bible says if it's good, it's God. Which means if there's something good in your life, that's the glory of God shining on your life. God, show me your glory. We want to behold him every day. Not just as those special times. Not just that, that you know, half hour you give to, to day, for daily devotions. Not just when you come here on Sunday morning or, you know, special spiritual times. That's, no, God, I, I want to see your glory. Don't let me miss it. Don't let it pass me by. I want to see your glory. I want to see it in conversations that I have. I want to see it in the way, in the way you, you protect me throughout the day. I want to see it in the way you provide for me throughout the day. I want to see it in the way you're, you're watching over my family and you're growing us up. God, I want to see your glory. And I tell you what, the things, here's what I've noticed about us. Whatever, whatever it is we look for, we find it. We really do. Whatever it is we desire to see, that's what we see. You know, if you buy a, a red Chevy, you've never noticed a red Chevy on the road before in your life, but now you'll notice every one of them. You'll see it all. Oh, there's red Chevys all over the place. Because we see what we're looking for. We see what our heart really desires. Self-examination. 
is seeing who we should be. And that only happens not by looking at ourselves, but looking at and fixing our eyes on who he is. And when you see who he is, you'll start becoming who he's made you to be. The text goes on, and Jesus tells him, well, in answer to his question, he starts listing the law of Moses. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Well, and then he starts going down the Ten Commandments. Well, you, you, you need to, you know, keep the law of Moses. And this young man says, I've kept all these from my youth. He was feeling good about himself at this point, perhaps. He's checking that off the list. Hey, 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 that's good. I've done, I've done that. I, since I was a kid, I've kept, I've kept all the law of Moses. Now, can I tell you something? Sidebar, he was wrong. He had an over-exaggerated opinion of himself. He was wrong. He, he, I guarantee you, since he was a kid till that moment in time, he had not kept the law of Moses perfectly. Because if we were able to keep the law of Moses perfectly, Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus had to come because the law was perfect in and of itself, but it was weak in that it couldn't keep us because it depended on us. We had to live up to the law, and we just couldn't do it. In our own lives today, we recognize that. We can't live up to any standard of righteousness that would make us acceptable to God. That's why Jesus came, so that he could take the, the weak link out of the chain. And he became the sacrifice. He lived up to God's law. He satisfied the law of God and passes it on. Now, we become the righteousness of, of God in Christ Jesus. This rich young ruler says, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, here's, here's a, a danger with that kind of mentality is that if you think you've arrived, you'll stop traveling, right? If you, if you think you've arrived, you'll stop traveling. And one of the easiest traps to fall into, oh my, is taking too much time, <laughs> is spiritual stagnation, spiritual stagnation. All of these I've kept from my youth. Listen, yesterday's testimony doesn't mean you're advancing today. You may have gotten it right yesterday. You may have done it right yesterday. That doesn't mean you're getting it right today. You may have advanced. I, I've, been, I've been walking in this thing for 10 years. I've been saved for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. That's good for you. But are you growing? That doesn't mean you're 20 years old in the Lord. That doesn't mean you have 40 years of spiritual growth and advancement. I've read the Bible through 10 times. I saw God move in this way. I heard God say this. I've served God through all these different ways. Listen, if validation of your spiritual life with Jesus is all in past tense, I'd be concerned about stagnation. If your evaluation of your spiritual journey is yesterday, then I'd worry about stagnation. Yes, it's true. He who began a good work will be faithful to continue to perform it each and every day of your life. But listen, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. You could, you could stop and hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can keep the Holy Spirit from developing you the way he wants. It's not automatic. It's possible that we could become stagnant in our spiritual growth. Peter says, add to your faith. Paul says in Ephesians, having done all to stand. Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together. Hebrews says that, 
by this time you ought to be teachers, but instead you're wanting to be taught again. You've stagnated. Psalm 1 shows us the danger of stagnation. He says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the God, ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the progress? You're walking and then you're standing and then you're sitting. That's the pattern of stagnation. That's the, a, a death knell to, to spiritual growth and development. The Christian life is about walking with Jesus. It's about progress. It's about direction. It's about intentionality. And if we slow down or if we stop walking, we create distance. And when there's distance between us and Jesus, how do you understand? Just practically, it becomes harder to hear what he's saying. It becomes harder to see what he's doing if we create that distance spiritual stagnation we have to fight against it i've got to land this plane everybody stand up i hope this is helping somebody here's the end of it self-examination godly holy biblical self-examination will always lead you to a decision It'll always bring you to a place of decision. And the decision is going to be this. What is following Jesus worth to you? What is following Jesus worth to you? It says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Now, now don't dismiss the start of that verse. It says Jesus looked at him, loved him. And then said, there's a, there's a process there. When you question what Jesus is doing in your life, when you question what Jesus may be directing or, say, or saying to you in your life, and maybe it's something you don't like, understand his motivation. He looked at him. See, Jesus knows us. He knows you. He created you. He designed you. He, he ordained you to be. He knows you. He looked at this young man. And in looking, he knew exactly everything about this young man. And he knew what this young man would need in order to, if he really was serious about wanting to get to where he would, wanted to go and was asking. And he loved him. He had compassion on him. And out of that knowing and that passion, then Jesus spoke. And I promise you, when the Lord speaks to you, it's with the same motivation. Because he knows you and he loves you, which means anything he says is trustworthy. Anything he says is the right thing. And even if you don't understand it fully, especially if you may not, maybe you even don't like it, we should obey. We should follow. Because he knows us and he loves us perfectly. Now, this story doesn't have a happy ending. Disheartened, it says. The young man goes away. He, he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing. It wasn't worth to him to do what Jesus said. And he goes away disheartened, it says, downcast, saddened, because he had great possessions. And he, and he just couldn't balance the two. And he chose wrongly, unfortunately. He, he comes away from this backstage conversation 
And he left with the same emptiness that he came with, that he started with. Listen, you, ha you have to know this. If we're going to be serious in our walk with the Lord, if we're going to come before him and say, God, show me my own heart. I, I want you to show me own my own heart because I, I don't want anything to hinder us. Jesus will always ask you for the things that are, in fact, hindering your walk with him. Those are the things he's always going to bring to the foreground. And sometimes it's things you're going to recognize and, and gladly let go. But sometimes it's things you, you recognize and you fuss about it. And you try to rationalize and you try and debate your way around it. How, how sad, when you look at this picture, how sad to come into the Lord's presence and walk away unchanged. To walk away the same condition with the same emptiness and hollowness that you had when you came in. How sad. And yet, you know what? If we're to be honest, and I include myself, we've all done it. We've all done it. It happens in churches around the world every Sunday. Or midweek services or prayer meetings where people gather. And the presence of God is there, but that doesn't mean everyone goes away changed. Sometimes we just go away. Because we were wherever, distracted, unmoved. Or maybe the, maybe the preacher said something we didn't like, so we discarded it. And something that maybe the Lord wanted to work in us, we miss. And we go away unchanged. So the question that leaves all of us personally to ask, what great possession do you have that keeps you from following Jesus? For this young man, it was, it was his physical, material possessions. It may not be that for, for you. But, but there's something that may be a great possession. Sometimes we avoid self-examination because we already know it. I know that if I get really serious, serious with the Lord, he's going to ask me to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. See, so suddenly we're, we're making decisions just like this young man did that it's not worth it to me. Yeah, but you could know Jesus better, but it's not worth it to me. You could follow him better. It's not worth it to me. That's what we're saying to the Lord. When, when he shows us these things and, and we walk away. What is the great possession that keeps you from following him? Only you can answer that question. But I'll tell you this. Until you answer it and allow him to work and walk through it with you, you'll be saved but not satisfied. You'll be converted, but not content. You'll be forgiven. God doesn't take all that away from you, but you won't be transformed. You won't see that, that steps and strides of growth and advancement in your spiritual walk with him. You'll sense that ever-nagging vacancy in your soul. Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but he's also very stubborn. And you may be ready to, let's skip over that and go on to the next one. He won't skip over it. He's going to deal with that thing, and it's going to keep re recycling and coming up, and he's going to keep bringing it to the foreground until you really are willing to surrender it to him. So here's, as I read the text, I started thinking, how, how am I going to end this thing? And the text leaves us wondering. It's really, you know, it's not a happy ending text. He goes away and and. I don't know about you, I don't like open-ended things like that. 
But it's like one of those books where you get to write your own ending. We want to know, what, what, what happened to this young man? Did he ever come back? Did he ever return? Did he change his mind later? What's There's a lot of theologians that believe that this rich young ruler was actually Mark, the, the gospel writer. That he was actually telling a story on himself. So obviously he did return. But we don't know that factually. So it's left open-ended for us to sort of just mull with. And I'm going to sort of do that today. We're going to pray. I'm going to conclude the service. But the only way I know for us to, to take advantage of this message on self-examination is to challenge you to examine yourself. And I'm going to do that in a real practical way. When you leave today, um, at each of the doors on the way out, there's a, just a sheet of paper. And it's, it says at the top, uh, self-examination meditation questions. That's all it is. It's a bunch of questions. And I'm going to ask you to take them with you and add them to your quiet time or use it as a separate additional quiet time. And I'm asking you to do it slow. I think there's 10 or 11 questions, ponderables. Um, on the, Maybe do one a day, one or two a day. Give it time. Don't just read through them and say yes or no or give quick answers. Read one with the Lord. Invite the Lord to be with you. Read it. Let, it. let it settle in your heart. And tell the Lord the truth. He knows it already, by the way. So you might as well just be honest. Just be transparent. And again, this isn't to say, make you feel like something's wrong with you. It's to say, God, my relationship with you is, is important, and I want to keep growing. And maybe through this simple little exercise... The, the Holy Spirit can show you some area of your life where, where there's a hindrance or there's a stagnation or there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to get to you and through you. So I'm going to just, I'm going to end our service that way, saying you have a homework assignment. So this week, go home and spend time with the Lord for this, this specific purpose. God, I invite your presence to be here with me as, and, and I want to, do a self-examination, but it's really your Holy Spirit that, that's doing the work. And, and I just want to hear and obey. Is that okay? Is that all right? So I, I pray that you'll take advantage of that. For those who are home online, um, here's what I've done. I hope you're on. I hope we have your a correct email address for you because at, oh, we're way past. But you should have in your email box right now the form. If you're on our email list, you can go to your email and, and the paper will be there. If you don't do email, then I would ask you to call the office and leave your name and address and we'll, we'll drop one in the mail to you. Um, but but I'm, I want us to do that during this week and see if the Lord doesn't show himself to us in a wonderful way. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth and the life that's in your word. And I pray now a blessing upon every one of my brothers and sisters here, those at home, any or perhaps hear this even at a later date online. God, I pray that you would challenge and, and, and prick our hearts to, to examine ourselves in your presence because our desire is to be more like you. Our desire is to grow. Our desire is to, to impact our world for the sake of your kingdom, which means we need you. So God, 
bless your people as we as we go from this place. I pray you seal your word inside of us. I, I pray you you meet with them this week. Every time they sit down for, for this purpose, Holy Spirit, be there. Let the presence of the living God fill that time. Give them ears to hear what you would say to them. So, Lord, we become more and more like you. And as we draw closer to you, we draw closer to one another as well. And then we, we become the body of Christ in the earth to make a difference against the darkness. So, God, dismiss us now with your peace and your joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I'm glad you were here this morning. We'll see you next Sunday.